Hello, hello, Jordan Sheridan, live status quo, Monday, November the 13th, the year 2023 in the United Corporations of America. How I hope everybody's doing okay. Uh, it's been a little bit since I've been live. Uh, as you know, I was working very, very feverishly uh, and frantically to finish uh, my book on the Flint water cover-up. Uh, I guess you could say I, I finished at least the um, early manuscript. I got it in to the publisher. Uh, and now well, we shall see how it goes. I guess this is the first book I've written. So I uh, guess how it works is the publisher will send me back or the editor uh, with the book publisher will send me back uh, edits and or what they want me to edit. Uh, hopefully not that much. And uh, then I will get back to working on that. But as of now, I have finished the book. Uh, it was super, super uh, exciting slash stressful because it's not, I don't know if any of you have ever written a book before uh, or just written in general, but this was not like, oh, all the work is done and now I'm just writing. This was, oh, I'm writing and still reporting and researching at the same time. So I was actively reporting and still going through things and documents and calling sources while trying to write 26 chapters. And I uncovered some stuff that I hadn't yet uncovered. So as I uncovered new, really scandalous shit, then I had to go back and kind of rewrite some of it. So it was a lot of work, um, but I am super, super grateful that this will be out. God willing, uh, it's scheduled to be out next summer. Uh, so I'm super, super excited, uh, and I will for status quo viewers, uh, when I can re release information, I'll definitely reveal um, the name, you know, the title of the book, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, we'll be joined shortly uh, by Peter Hager of Generational Change. Obviously, there's a lot going on in the news while I was, I get not really off because I was working the whole time, but while I was working on the book, obviously, just ho horrific uh, I, I don't even know the words, genocide, carpet bombing, slaughter uh, of Gaza has been going on. Uh, we've been covering it extensively here, uh, covering protests uh, going on in New York City and elsewhere uh, and trying to cover it as best as we can. Uh, but obviously it gets worse every day. Uh, so we're going to get to that in a little bit. Uh, there is updates as far as the United Auto Workers vote. Uh, Ford workers are still voting. General Motors workers are still voting. Stellantis voters are still working on the tentative agreement that was agreed to a few weeks ago. Uh, so I'll give you an update on that. Uh, and the 2024 election, if you even want to call it that, uh, is actively, actively underway. And at this point, according to polls, if the election were held today, we would have President Trump again. Uh, so we're going to start with that. Smash the like button, share this live stream so we can get it out to more people. Uh, the more people that press like, the more people that will see this very live stream. Also, um, super chats are very appreciated. Uh, we have spent a lot of money in recent months, obviously on the ground, covering the United Auto Workers strikes. We covered it 25 days in a row which I'm very proud of. Uh, the first 25 days of the strike, we were there on the ground. Uh, we've been covering the protests. Uh, calling for a ceasefire. Uh, we're always uh, on the ground as much as we can. 
So super chats are appreciated and all that. And we will do a members call probably before Thanksgiving for our status quo members. So thanks. Thanks to all of you. Um, I covered this earlier, but I want to go into it a little bit deeper uh, and also answer your questions. Jordan has a fishing book. It is not a fishing book. My book is exposing the Flint water cover-up, which while I was writing my book, if you don't know, uh, the genius, incompetent, corrupt Attorney General of Michigan, Dana Nessel, uh, announced that they are dropping the investigation into the Flint water crisis, uh, all but assuring that no politician will ever go to prison for poisoning the people of Flint and then covering it up. We'll get to that maybe another time. So, Colin, if we could first show um, the survey that Politico did uh, on if the election were held today, it's kind of like that, not a fancy sheet, uh, should be at the top. Uh, of the live doc, uh, the political survey. So if the election were held today, according to a political survey that I believe surveyed 15,000 people, you could full screen it. If the election were held today, Trump would narrowly win. This is in a head to head matchup. Um, let me make sure I have it. Donald Trump would beat Joe Biden in the electoral college 292 to 246 if a presidential election were held today. Biden would still win the popular vote by one percentage point. Uh, the race in the battleground states is extremely close. This is a survey of about 15,000 people. Four states uh, are forecast to be won by less than two percentage points of the vote. Nevada and Michigan projected to be won by Biden. Uh, but, but the polls show Trump on course to win back four key swing states that Biden won in 2020. Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. All of these states were won by Trump in 20, 2016, but swung back to Biden in 2020. If you look at this, Arizona and Georgia, not surprising, Biden won both by less than a point. Wisconsin, Biden only won Wisconsin. I've said this many, many times. He only won it by, I believe it was 20,000 votes. Not surprising at all if Trump were to take back Wisconsin. And Pennsylvania, Biden only won by 80,000 votes. Not surprising at all if Pennsylvania were to go back uh, to Trump. Uh, let me bring in Peter uh, from Generational Change, which he'll have a special edition. Oh, okay. Oh, excuse it's me. It's really great. Have you seen the numbers? Have you seen them? They're really incredible. The numbers look great. We are making America great again, again in 24. Look at those numbers, Jordan. They're incredible. I'm up in every state. Wisconsin, get in line. You know you want to be with the Donald. Everybody else stinks. But if you have any questions, you know, ask away because I'm feeling good today. I know I may go to prison, but believe me, we'll win from behind the walls, in front of the walls, and then I'll pardon myself after I'm reelected. Believe me. President Trump, I, I do want to get to the numbers. Congratulations on the numbers. You uh, did a rally where you... you you previewed that if you get reelected again, you're going to take on the vermin uh, and go, use the DOG to go after your political opponents. First a lot of people didn't. A lot of people didn't like that term. It, it, it kind of evokes excuse stuff from me. the Holocaust. They're total. They're, listen, they're really terrible people. Have you seen how they treated me over the past several months? I am a totally innocent, wonderful person. They're totally taking advantage of me, and I am really tired of this 
Really ridiculous witch hunt. It's a witch hunt. That's what it's been. Look at the numbers, Jordan. That's all you have to look at. You don't have to listen to the words I say. Look at the actions of the voters. The voters say they want to make America great again, again. And that is why I'm in front. And that is why all of these charges, they're totally trumped up, if you will. They're not going to stick. And even if they do, they are totally totally going to lose on appeal. Believe me, that's where we're at. And that's why we're winning, winning bigly, incredibly, tremendously. That's what's happening. And what what do you mean that you're going to use the DOG to go after your political opponents? Can you name names? I totally, no, I totally can't name names. That's private. That's a private. That's private. Believe me when I tell you it's private, but you'll find out soon enough. Anyone who has decided that they were going to make this a politicized witch hunt, taking me to court repeatedly, incessantly is a big word there they're totally being incessant about the prosecution it's not legitimate it's totally false fake news really terrible these people don't know what they're doing they are really messing with the wrong person and when you mess with trump you mess with maga they are not going to tolerate it and i can't control everybody so believe me when i tell you you would wise to really look into dropping the charges that would be the smartest move right now and while i have you here before you go uh, 16 Congress people came out signing a letter asking President Biden to drop the extradition charges against Julian Assange, which your administration under you uh, launched this political persecution against Julian Assange. Can you vow right now, if you're reelected, that you would drop the extradition charge uh, and attempt against Julian Assange and let him go? First of all, let me tell you that I got some really terrible advice when I was the president. And I'm always used to making my own decisions and everyone insisted, well, you should listen to some of your advisors because they really know what's going on. And that really terrible out of his mind, Mike Pompeo insisted, you can't pardon Assange. It's not a good idea. He was an enemy of the state, worked against the United States. But, you know, the more I looked into it, the more I realized he's a political prisoner like me. I totally have to pardon him, too, if I get into the White House. So believe me, I'm saying it here when we not me, when we went back the White House in 24, the first executive order that I will issue as president of the United States, drop the extradition charges against Julian Assange. You heard it here for the first time and not the last time. Thank you, President Trump. I will uh, now invite on uh, his alter ego, Peter Hager. By the way, after this show, uh, make sure you check out Generational Change. Uh, they're doing great work. Uh, Peter's partner, Jen, I believe was recently in D.C. for that massive. Uh, Jen's, been, uh, Jen's been running all over the place. She was in D.C. for the Free Palestine rally and then uh, just drove up to Atlanta and was in Cop City, uh, survived. Uh, yeah. It was uh, pretty interesting. She's got some interesting photos and uh, footage from that event. Uh, well, it wasn't let's, smooth. <laughs> let's get into that, actually. Uh, Colin, if you could just put that back up. Uh, if the election were held today, uh, according to Politico's survey, they looked at 15,000 voters. Uh, Trump would win uh, 292 to 246 in the Electoral College. Uh, pretty, I guess, a comfortable lead. Not, you know, not a total, you know, slaughtering, but comfortable enough considering you need 270. But if you look at the states, uh, the key battleground states that he is projected right now to take back, I would argue Cop City in Atlanta plays into one of those states. Uh, Trump would be uh, is projected to win back Georgia, uh, Arizona, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. 
Uh, Peter, I said it at the time. We've covered Cop City. For those of you that don't know, that's the massive, totally unnecessary, um, quote-unquote, police training center down in Atlanta uh, that is basically going to be a police training compound. Uh, <laughs> we are going to talk about Israel and uh, Palestine later, but they are going to be co-training with Israel's Mossad uh, down at the I, Israel. I, I didn't know that one. Oh, okay. yeah. Uh, uh, Masa Masada or IDF, one of those. Wow. Uh, most of, you know, you always like, the, you always hear, oh, the money is coming from out of state. Uh, well, most of the trainees that will be training at this, you know, compound aren't even from Atlanta. But I said at the time, uh, Trump only, uh, Biden only won Georgia by less than a percentage point. And the key in Georgia was Atlanta. He got out more black people in the city of Atlanta and the Atlanta suburbs. Well, you could say, well, Biden's not responsible for Cop City. Well, the mayor is a Democrat. The two senators are Democrats in Georgia. The whole city council are Democrats. Biden hasn't said a word. Don't be surprised if Democratic voters stay home uh, in Atlanta, which could tip Georgia to Trump. Or they're going to vote for RFK or Cornell West or whoever. You know, there's I think that the election is going to be a lot more interesting than people think. Um, obviously, a lot of it comes down to finances and infrastructure. But I do think that uh, Biden is without question. Listen, I, we've been talking about this for a while. I thought that Biden was on the outs um, before what's happening in Gaza. That was the final nail in the coffin. So he's a lame duck president at this point. He has absolutely no momentum whatsoever. And can we dispel the myth that the Democrats had a great night the other day? No, no. Uh, Women's right to choose had a great night in Ohio. The incumbent governor won re-election in Kentucky. And the Democrats, by the skin of their teeth, won the state house in Virginia. But this idea that they somehow had this magnificent evening, you know what? The more they talk like that, the more I'm convinced that they are going to get annihilated in 2024 because they really haven't learned anything. Like the idea that they're trying to pretend that what's happening right now, I mean, look, like you just pointed out, I had no idea that there was some crazy uh, connection between uh, the IDF or the Mossad in terms of training in Cop City. I mean, that's obvious, uh, you know, some information. That I'm Basically, sure my, Tina's reported on it, but my understanding yeah. is obviously the police training at uh, Cop City will be, uh, you know, American. Uh, but they will have some training uh, from, I believe it's the IDF. Uh, I believe it's the IDF. So uh, why, why? I have no idea. If it's just a training center, why would you need such training? Uh, we see what the IDF is doing right now to Gaza. Uh, but at the end of the day, it it's not just Cop City. Um, I agree with you that not just, uh, not just the elections of last week, but you look at the midterms, abortion, obviously was a major, major issue. But when you turn to presidential elections, consistently, the pocketbook is usually number one or number two issues. Uh, and right now, uh, Biden has, or the geniuses around him thought it would be a good idea to brand Bidenomics. And unfortunately, they are learning the things that used to work, you know, just pushing forward the fairy pixie dust of, oh, low unemployment. We've created a record amount of jobs. Yeah, yeah. Well, that neoliberal bubble is bursting because people are working two to three jobs. And pretty much remember, Trump, for better or worse, he made a lot of promises and he kept quite a few of them.
um, or tried to keep quite a few of them. The wall didn't really work out. But other things, he said he was going to do it, and he did it. Biden, he made very few promises, but the one promise he actually made that was concrete was a $15 minimum wage, which at this point is insufficient. And honestly, the conservative position, I say started, I say started $25, but I don't know. That would have certainly, certainly he would have been doing a lot better in the polls on the economy if you had the minimum wage, which he had the power to push it through in the original COVID bill. Also, let's not forget it's not my preferred policy, but it's something. You had a child tax credit that was actually improving people's lives, particularly working people, single mothers, uh, working poor. For a year, you know, the bumper stickers, we cut child poverty in half temporarily, and then we allowed you to go back to fucking ramen noodle. Even if it wasn't that high, even if it was about 30 to 40%, it it was still significant. It it still made an actual monetary difference, especially in the poverty-stricken pockets of this country that desperately need some type of a pick-me-up. And the idea that you're going to give it to them and then take it away, that's even worse than not even having it in the first place. Because if you don't have it, you're living on, on a certain periphery where you're already struggling to survive. The second you get something like that, it's like you have a moment to breathe and you think, okay, things are going to start to get better. And then, doink, you don't have it anymore. So it's uh, the psychological trauma that people have had to deal with with this administration cannot be understated. And this whole idea of, but Trump's over there, it's not going to work. And shame on the people out there who are saying, but Trump, at this point, you got a lot of balls. You really do. Well, I'll say, I'll say, I think that at the end of the day, Lyndon B. Johnson was terrible in a lot of ways. But could you imagine if like, he put forward the great society programs, which he's known for, for a year. And then we'll try to like extend it. Same goes for the New Deal. You don't put forward these proposals to expire after a year. I don't care if you have a 50-50 Dem Senate. I don't care if Mansion and Cinema are there for all the apologists. There's something called the presidential bully pulpit. If Biden was awake and half you know, lucid, uh, he would have fought people like Biden, uh, Manchin and Schumer, because you had the bully pulpit and wildly popular policies. He didn't fight them on anything, on on making the child tax credit permanent, on ending the filibuster, uh, $2,000 checks. Why? Because I don't really think he believes in most of these policies. I think he said a lot of things to get people like Bernie Sanders on board, uh, to, you know, to make mini deals to, you know, get temporary victories or, you know, his fetish with bipartisan victories. But at the end of the day, you know, right now, the brainiacs around him, and we're about to get to the advice he's getting from the Democratic Party uh, intelligentsia, which is, you can't even make this up on the onion. Uh, But the advice he's getting is you have to brag about what you've done and what you've accomplished. The problem is people, what what you've accomplished, if you want to say accomplished, was pretty much in the first six months, the COVID relief bill. Uh, the first year, I guess you could say the infrastructure deal, but that's not improving anybody's lives materially. Um, you know, there's some things like the Chips Act, other things. But at the end of the day, at the, Colin, if you have that clip, it's probably out of order. Um, I don't know if it was CNN or somebody. They they interviewed two Latino voters uh, to ask them if they if they stand by their their vote for Biden. And even though this was a focus on Latino voters, I'm pretty sure you could replace these Latino voters with. White voters, black voters, it doesn't matter. Just 
middle class, working class, and this is what they would tell you. If you have that clip, this is uh, two voters uh, talking about if they still support Biden. Are you happy with your vote for Joe Biden? Mm, well, I didn't see something like really change. Like, and I didn't see changes in, so I was expecting something. Gabriele Martinez was expecting better. Both she and her husband work. They have one child, six-year-old Roman. Every month, a struggle. Right now, I work in three jobs because I have to like pay more things. Like my house is more expensive. Dalton, Georgia, bills itself the carpet capital of the world. Much of the labor here, Latino immigrants living paycheck to paycheck. Many now view the Trump years as better for their bottom line. Some Latino community say, when Trump was a president, we don't have high gas or inflation of the food. Right. So this is the, the truth. Pocketbook concerns, top of the mind, and the support of this fast-growing voting bloc critical in key battleground states. So listen, to be fair, inflation is a global problem. Biden didn't create it. If Trump was reelected, he would have... Yeah, he would he would have dealt with inflation. The problem is he didn't do the very simple things he could have done to make it better. Uh, In 1962, JFK, before the, you know, complex uh, uh, took him out, uh, he had a showdown with the steel industry. And he said, oh, you want to price fix and raise prices on steel? All right. I'm taking your I'm taking your military contracts away. I'm going to give it to uh, uh, submarine contracts. It was I'm going to give it to the companies that aren't. Uh, unnecessarily raising their prices. The companies buckled in a week. 180. Could have done that against the fossil fuel industry, said, I'm pulling your $15 billion a year free money and federal subsidies. Uh, There are laws. I know some people call it communism. There are laws against uh, runaway increases of prices. Uh, Grocery stores uh, could have been threatened with that. There's a lot of industries, electric, energy, that could have been threatened for greedflation. Biden didn't do it. The most he did, Peter, if you remember, he sent the fossil fuel executives a very tense, harshly worded letter asking them, please, pretty please, uh, stop raising your prices. I mean, that's not leadership. We could go down the list. And I don't really think Trump would make inflation much better anyway, but at least he would sound better. He would. And people, you know, not everyone's a political expert. Not not everyone has the time to look into it. They just remember, well, prices were lower under Trump, so I might not like him as a human being, but it was better for me and my family. You know, I don't remember who it was that I spoke to that said this, but they said that Joe Biden is one of the worst possible people that could be in the White House right now at a time of crisis. He's a peacetime at best commander in chief where you're not really required to do anything. But in a situation where we desperately need a commander in chief who can steer the ship in the right direction, like a Teddy Roosevelt or a JFK in this moment where you really need somebody like that. Uh, Consumer confidence is down. Overall confidence in the country is down. People do not want war, obviously. And that was specifically about Ukraine. You could put that on steroids now when it comes to what's going on in Israel. you know, you have a commander in chief who basically is not coherently there. And that's a very big problem in this moment when the American people are desperate. And it's a scary prospect because, you know, you look at 
uh, that lady who was interviewed, you know, she is emblematic of what's going on right now. And the Biden administration likes to brag that unemployment is low. Well, what they're not telling you is that wages are pathetically low and that they don't account for people taking on multiple jobs or have stopped looking for work because they can't find something that's going to do better than them, quite frankly, sitting on their ass and collecting a welfare check. And right. that's where we're at. We're in a very bad place right now. I mean, not to mention it. I mean, the, the data is imprecise, but it does not uh, weigh in how many people are working more than one job, mm -hmm. how many people are working gig jobs, as they call it. Uh, the unemployment rate GDP has always been a terrible way of measuring the economy. Uh, I think the way, the key marker is income inequality, uh, which that is our economy. That massive red line that has been shooting up since the early 1980s with our money being stolen by the bourgeoisie, uh, the people smoking cigars in the back room as they rig our so-called democracy, uh, and your wages staying flat. That's why this United Auto Workers strike, which we'll get to an update on that a little bit later, was so important because it wasn't really just about the auto industry. It was the first time you had labor actually fucking getting out of bed, labor leaders, I should say, and not just rolling over and fucking taking it, you know, for lack of a better word, uh, and actually fighting back. Uh, I don't, you know, some people aren't totally um, enamored with the deal. I think it will pass. We'll get to that later. But yeah. let me tell you something. They would not have gotten a 25% wage increase four years ago. They would have taken the 10% offer uh, and said, live to fight another day. The fact that between the wages and the cost of living reinstatement, you're hovering around 29, 30% wage increase plus other benefits. That is from labor militancy, which we had not had Long in 40 time. years. Yeah. And that's the pathway. It's not, in my opinion, I'm not saying don't vote. But it's this is not going to come through electoral politics. You're going to need uh, what the UAW did and labor organizing and different industries and different labor unions working together. We'll get to that later. I wanted to read some of this Politico piece, Peter. Mm. Honestly, I don't even think the onion could make this up. Now, talking about uh, Biden and his, I guess, mental and physical capabilities uh, to run. And if the Democrats actually like if winning was their top priority, you would think they would be pushing him for a graceful exit, celebrate his accomplishments, so to speak, you know, make it a whole branding marketing thing, you know, like, I don't know, t Kobe or one of these people's last year, let him have, you know, cheers at every uh, game, uh, a whole long send off in their retirement year, you know, help cite his health, wants more time with family, whatever, but push him out gracefully. Uh, they are saying, uh, this is according to Politico's reporter, who said he's talked to dozens of insiders in the Democratic Party, that's in part for reasons Biden refuses to accept his capacity to do the job. The oldest president in history, when he first took the oath, Biden will not be able to govern and campaign in the same manner of previous incumbent. He simply does not have the capacity to do it, and his staff doesn't trust him to even try as they make clear by blocking him from the press, Biden's bid will give new meaning to a Rose Garden campaign, and it requires accommodation to that unavoidable fact of life. Moreover, and on this Biden would agree, the election will be exceptional because of the threat Trump poses. The former president is exiled strongman who's taken over a traditional political party, blah, 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 blah. They're saying that this campaign, unlike 2020, which was out of his basement, will basically be out of the Rose Garden, meaning 
They know that he's just not up to traveling and the rigors of a full presidential campaign. I can't really knock him. He's 80. Most I'm 37. I don't know if I could do it. <laughs> an, an 80 year old, whether I like him or not, is irrelevant. It, yeah, that's a lot to ask uh, a senior citizen, elderly person to run a vibrant campaign. That's why they're trying to ha have him speak as much as possible in, in the, at the Rose Garden, at the White House, limit his travel, not let him talk to press. Well, if you know he's not capable, why are you having him run again at a time of war, threats of, I don't, I don't know about World War III, but global conflict? Why would you want someone to be president again if you care about democracy and you know, world peace and all that? If you don't even think he could, you know, make the swing from Iowa to New Hampshire to South Carolina more than once. That is a massive red flag. Devil's advocate, Peter, maybe they think Kamala Harris would get crushed worse. Or maybe the donors and the consulting class wouldn't mind him losing because, hey, won't the resistance 2.0 be a money-making machine? Imagine Women's March 2.0. I don't know if it would have the same effect. I, I really don't. Um, I mean, sure, there, you know, look, there would be people that would be up in arms if Trump won again, but it won't be anything like the first time. The first time was an absolute earthquake. Um, a lot of people didn't see it coming. And their entire psyche was shattered by the prospect of somebody like Donald Trump being the leader of the free world. People have this perception about what our country is, what our government is supposed to be and what it's supposed to represent. Um, and most of it is all surface it's not, it's it's very thin in terms of its depth. Uh, when you ask somebody, you know, why do you like President Biden? The knee-jerk reaction is to say he's a man of integrity. What the hell does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. It just means that it's what people emotionally feel comfortable with. They see Trump as a train that's going off the tracks like this, and somebody like Biden is somebody who's smoothly running along the tracks, even if they're moving at an exceptionally slow pace. For them, that comfort is what they're, what they're accustomed to and what they want and what they want to feel. Even if economically he's failing this nation, which he is. In addition to that, there are people, particularly on the Democratic side, it's much worse in, in the Democratic Party than it is in the Republican Party, because in the Republican Party, if you end up out of, let's say, elected office, now granted, you know, there's the nefarious examples of, of what happens when you go and work for the private sector, but there are many more people in the on the Republican side that are well-versed in private sector capability, whether it is, uh, you know, Rand Paul, for example, as an eye doctor. Uh, you have uh, other people that are well-versed in other avenues. Uh, Thomas Massey is, um, uh, he, he's like a scientist. I mean, there, there are people who are well-versed in different avenues for making a living outside of permanent Washington. On the Democratic side, in particular, this administration, you have a lot of forever Washington run-of-the-mill bureaucrats in this administration. They don't care if this is weekend at Bernie's. They don't care if they have to prop up literally a walking corpse to get them over the finish line. It's another four years of extreme luxury and privilege working on Capitol Hill, because that's what it is for most of these lobbyists, uh, White House staffers, a, a lot of people. This is a career, just like it is for a lot of these elected representatives, like my congresswoman. This is a career. Which, that is uh, how are, you, are you talking about? Debbie Wasserman Schultz. We'll get to her in a bit. Uh, but right now, 
the people that are there who are looking at the prospect of, well, I know if Trump gets in there, I'm out of a job, or the prospect of a cataclysmic circumstance where somebody like RFK were to end up there, they'll also be out of a job. So for them, it's, well, I got to stick with what I know, and I'm going to stick with what I know, even if it's at the, you know, the country be damned. And so that's why you have the likes of the Bill Crystals, the David Frums, the Jennifer Rubens, and the list goes on, the Lincoln Project, you know, the list goes on and on of these endless D.C. bureaucrats who want to convince you that not only should Biden be reelected, but that he's doing a really good job. You just don't realize it. He, he's well, doing a great job. Well, I think what's really important and I want to make this clear, this is my position, as horrible as Biden is, uh, I'm not saying this is a lesser of two evils because I think Biden is plenty evil, but I think what's so dangerous about this is it truly is dangerous if Trump gets elected again. And sure. I, you, would, you would hope that Democrats truly believe that. And if you truly believe that, you would do whatever it takes to, elect exactly the to run the strongest candidate. And let me just, let me just tell you why. Strong men... You know, I, I, I've always hesitated to compare him to Hitler and these things. I think the Holocaust and Nazi imagery gets tossed around too casually. However, mm -hmm. if a four-time indicted president could pull it off to win re-election, as it stands now, it's an open question whether he could pardon himself. He's unencumbered by law at that point and really could do whatever he wants. He's got the Supreme Court. Clearly, he appointed at this point many of them. Um, he has talked about uh, going after his political opponents openly um, in, the climate, in, the climate, in the climate inferno, not that electric vehicles is enough, but he wants to roll that back. He oh, still yeah. doesn't even believe in climate change as it's getting worse and worse. So from my perspective, Democrats are knowingly jeopardizing the so-called democracy, which we don't have, by running what Peter is talking about, a walking corpse who, even if he was lucid, even if he was vibrant, is a terrible candidate whose politics and posture is stuck back in the 1980s. Hell, you know how bad neoliberalism is at this point. That same Politico survey showed that D DNC golden boy Gavin Newsom, if the election were held today, would lose to Trump. Yep. So there's something, it's not just Biden, it's I think the 40-year neoliberal bu bubble is popping. And voters don't remember that Trump's policies were mostly economically were basically George W. Bush on steroids. No, sure, he didn't start yeah. a new war, but economically, it was all talk, populist bullshit. He, he gave rich people in corporate America tax breaks, deregulation, all that stuff. But he made it sound palatable for the working class. The worker bees got a tiny little tax cut, better than nothing, they thought. That's and they, they like the cultural stuff, the wall, the anti-immigrant fervor, yada, yada, yada. But, Peter, I want to bring this to, again, not the onion. This is from Politico. Politico is reporting that after talking to dozens of insiders, the Democrats think that the way for Biden to turn this around is to push forward and to lean on the help of Liz Cheney, Mitt Romney, Rahm Emanuel and Bill and Hillary Clinton. Bill and Hillary Clinton. Let me read this part. On the topic of the Mideast, once the Israeli incursion into Gaza ends, I love how Politico just, yeah, it probably will end in a week. 
this genocide. Uh, into Gaza ends, there will presumably be some steps toward diplomacy. Biden cannot run the country, run for re-election, and oversee a new Mideast peace process. He should appoint a pair of high-level envoys for the post, Bill and Hillary Clinton. Dispatching the Clintons would show Biden's commitment to a resolution, offer the former first couple a final mission that could be the capstone of their public lives, and help channel their talents in more constructive ways than letting them chew over polling data and rage about Trump. Clinton shared credit with former Senator George Mitchell for landing the Good Friday Agreement in Northern Ireland. And for those that don't know, uh, this hasn't really been discussed much. Uh, Hillary Clinton was caught on tape basically saying we should have rigged the 2006 elections in Gaza. Correct. Uh, The tape is 45 minutes long. Uh, Speaking to the Jewish press, about the January 25th, 2006 election. Colin, this is from the Observer article. Uh, For the second Palestinian Legislative Council, Clinton weighed in about the result. Uh, Hamas won, uh, crushed uh, U.S. preferred Fatah. She said, and I quote, I do not think we should have pushed for an election in the Palestinian territories. I think that was a big mistake, quote. And if we're going to push for an election, then we should have made sure that we did something to, to determine who was going to win. I mean, the fact that that's on record and it's on video, I've seen, I've read it and I've, and I've seen it. And there are people who think that Hillary Clinton did not. In, it was there are people who really think that even if the 2016 Democratic primary was not on the up and up, that Hillary Clinton had nothing to do with what was going on. I'm like, oh, for God's sake. It's so transparently corrupt. And this is why people are starting to not care about Trump's corruption anymore. And you know what? I don't blame him because it's the system that is corrupt to uh, to the core. It is irredeemable at this point. And that's why there's a lot of people who are just looking at it as like, no, fuck it. Let Trump get in there and let him blow it up, because that's kind of how they're looking at it at this point. They are trying to convince you that. They don't have to change at all. In fact, what we need to do is revert back to what got us here in the first place. Rahm effing Emanuel, that piece of shit. Let me tell you something. Rahm Emanuel's a scumbag on the surface to begin with. You wait and hear how big of a Zionist he is. You're going to love that one. Well, also, I think because of the butt Trump error, where basically any corruption, corporate, corporatization of the Democratic Party is kind of put aside because but Trump. Let's go down that list for a second. Besides the political stupidity of it, you know, who we showed, those Latino voters, black voters, white working class voters, they're not pulling away from Biden because they just need to hear more from Mitt Romney on behalf of Biden or Liz Cheney. If we only hear more from Liz Cheney, they'll they'll, you know, hold their nose and vote for Biden or Rahm Emanuel, or the Clintons. Um, Mitt Romney, this is the Democratic Party that a decade ago did brutal ads against Mitt Romney uh, with workers building uh, building a podium uh, so that Mitt Romney's company can go on there and fire workers at plants across America because his Bain Capital bought up, uh, bought up companies, watered them down on debt, and then laid off all the workers. That was effective and brutal ads Obama did. He is a corporate vulture. Sure, he technically believes in democracy and was the one person with balls to vote on the Republican side to impeach 
Trump. Well, he's still a corporate every bad thing he ever did. He's still a corporate criminal. Liz Cheney, <laughs> oh. by the way, the political article called for them to also enlist the help of Dick Cheney and W. George W. Bush. Um, who Hillary Clinton, by the way, enlisted their help in 2016. Worked out well for her. Um, yeah. Dick Cheney, I don't really need to explain. Uh, Liz Cheney, I don't think I need to explain. Other than her, I guess, being strong and good on not going along with Trump's bullshit election fraud stuff. She's a fucking warmonger and a war criminal, just like the rest of them that are now hosting on MSNBC. Um, Rahm Emanuel, my, let, let me remind you, it's not just the Zionism. 16 shots and a cover-up. Laquan McDonald in Chicago, a 16-year-old black kid who was shot 16 times, and Rahm Emanuel covered it up, did not allow it the tape to get out before his re-election in Chicago as mayor. Not to mention all the terrible things he did in Chicago. Yeah, the Riverwalk and gentrified downtown is lovely. I like walking there. But he spent God knows how much money on a five-block radius in downtown Chicago and left the rest of the city to, die, to, to rot. Not yeah. unique. Democrats and Republicans have been gentrifying the hell out of this country for the last 30 years. But Rahm Emanuel did it on steroids. And wait a minute. Let's turn to the Clintons to what? Reignite the two-state solution? Two-state two solution? That's dead. Dead. Uh, uh, dead. By the way, by the way, <laughs> Hillary Clinton was just on The View basically, you know, saying, well, you know, Israel has the right to defend themselves and, and using the same no, talking no, no, points. You, you understand that when they say Israel has the right to defend themselves, that that's code for Israel could do whatever the fuck they want. That's what that So, and but again, I say, and I truly mean this, you have to start to wonder, is this all a racket and they're intentionally trying to help Trump? Action. Yeah, because and they maybe are intentionally trying to lose because a lot of these people's careers, the consultants, the think tanks, the media figures. I mean, a lot of these folks, MSNBC at its highest ratings ever under the Trump presidency. A lot of these think tanks, the, the protest movements, you know, the protests at the airports, the women's marches and that part of me wonders. You, I mean, you, Peter, you've worked in local politics. You've worked on campaigns. Yeah, they're stupid consultants, but these are high-level people in the White House. You have to be intentionally stupid, like trying to be this stupid, to think enlisting Mitt Romney, Liz Cheney, Rahm Emanuel, the Clintons would help you pull back the working-class vote to Biden in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Arizona. By the way, Nevada, why Trump is probably going to win is Nevada got hit harder than anyone yeah. by COVID economically. Uh, the whole casino shut down yeah. mm -hmm. so like why would okay maybe to get those i don't know republican swing you know the the mystical and if, I could, and, and if i can add you know i actually was in vegas uh a couple of months ago and i have to tell you uh you want to talk about a city that's been completely run down and that is a democratic city if there ever was one and this is a very common theme that a lot of you may or may not know and this is the this is the full machination of the of the neoliberal mindset of the Democratic Party over the past 40 years. If you go to any major city that is in a democratic state, you could go to Denver, Colorado, you could go to Las Vegas, Nevada, you could go to San Francisco, Los Angeles, go to Chicago, Illinois, 
as Jordan had just mentioned. What you'll find is these very gentrified, nice areas, highly populated, and they look all great and everything. And as soon as you get out of uh, the center of town, a few blocks, you're not just in the hood. You're in no man's land. You're in a place mm -hmm. where people can't survive. You've heard the stories about what Obama did in the south side of Chicago with building his presidential library and the absolute nonsensical gentrification that's taking place there. You're literally not only throwing people out on their asses, but you're making it impossible for them to live. And you see this happen everywhere. So is there going to be a political price to pay? Yes. But I think it also speaks to the system is just it's collapsing on itself because the people that have the power to do something about it, they a can't do anything about it or B, they don't want to do anything about it. There are a lot of people with a lot of money and power that would love for us, love for us to be a third world country, love for it to be that way. That people well, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of parts about America that are becoming third world. Peter, Peter, as you know, the audience, as you know, I've literally been writing a book and I just submitted it to the publisher about the Flint water cover up. Ten years later, we're going on a decade. No. An, American, an American city that was poisoned does not have clean water. No one is going to go to prison, which is another story. Uh, that just came out a week or two ago. The but, fucking but Dana Nessel wants you to know how anti-Semitic Rashida Tlaib is and how she's unfit to serve. Right. But Dana Nessel, the Michigan attorney general who sabotaged the Flint water investigation and more than anyone is responsible for the fact that Rick Snyder, the former governor, getting off scot-free, all his top aides. Every politician that knowingly allowed Flint residents to drink and bathe in toxic water, they're all getting off scot-free. By the way, Gretchen Whitmer, the Michigan governor, she's involved in that too, but they love gay people. They're inviting gay people to move to Michigan. Hey, you need an abortion? Move to Michigan. So their identity politics, uh, that's what they're pushing while they screw the people of Flint and elsewhere. But, hey, in case you, but, but in case you haven't noticed, you know, the IDF that have been incessantly mass murdering all the Palestinians in Gaza, they wave the rainbow flag. So in that case, they must be decent people because they like gays. Apparently, right. Palestinians don't. At least that's what they want you to believe. Uh, the, the, I've been telling you this for years now. I've been, I've been telling this long before it even became, you know, more mainstream. But woke politics is bullshit. It's a distraction from the fact that you can't afford to live and any which way that they can sell you down the river to convince you that you can't, you know, find ways to lock arms with other people that are. This is why Sean Fain is an unbelievable political leader right now. I don't like how cozy he is with Biden at this point. I understand it's for political purposes, but nevertheless, we are only going to survive if we unite behind labor. That's the only way. Every other way is a dead end. Listen, I'll say this. I think it's a good thing when politicians stand for gay people, trans people, et cetera, et cetera. However, always, always look closely at the politicians that that's pretty much all their main talk. thing. That's it. That's all I got. If, if politicians, women, men, it doesn't matter. If their main thing is pro-choice, pro-LGBTQ, yada, 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 uh, Look underneath the hood and see who's the, who, who's giving them money. Nancy Pelosi has made a career for 40 years off of this identity shit uh, <laughs> while screwing you and sucking off the teeth of Wall Street. Before I move on to the next topic, I will say I'm not a conspiracy theorist, Peter, but 
as Politico has reported, uh, Democratic insiders are pushing Biden to, I guess, appoint or enlist the Clintons to oversee the Israel-Gaza situation or be somehow international emissaries for this. Besides that being a horrendous idea just on its face, uh, what makes Biden or any Democrat think that if you appoint Hillary Clinton to an official or unofficial to anything, uh, to anything, that her immediate act is not going to be to try and shank Biden out of the way to run a third time and have a, you know, Rocky uh, Apollo rematch for you, Rocky enthusiasts. Uh, against Trump to, you know, to before she sunsets. Let, into, me, say, you know, let me just say, if she did pull something like that. And if Trump, she did, if, if, if Biden appointed her to take oversee peace in the Middle East, which is a joke at this point, mm -hmm. she would immediately, immediately have, and Bill would help her. They might not, they might not have slept in the same room for 30 years, but That's they're both sure. political animals. Uh, sure. They would immediately start the campaign to get Biden out of the way, uh, legally or not, so she could run again. Go ahead. Oh, and then I would actually, uh, I, I would uh, re relish in the opportunity to watch her get knocked on her ass again by Trump, because that is what would happen. Uh, we have just, we have particularly uh, in the Democratic Party. You know, the one thing you could say about the Republican Party, even if you don't like where they stand on issues, they evolve when it comes to who is representing their party. Look at the people who are in leadership right now. In fact, a lot of them are, frankly, kids. When you think about it, when you think about Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and Elisa Stefanik, I mean, these are kids in the Democratic Party. With the exception of Hakeem Jeffries, who, let's be honest, he's just a placeholder for Wall Street. We all know that. All of the leadership are these geriatrics who are in their 80s, and they are not letting it go. Let me assure you, ladies and gentlemen, Steny Hoyer, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Jim Clyburn, they're all going the same way Feinstein went. I can assure you of that. That's yeah. how it's going. With the way the Democratic Party is right now, they're not letting go of anything. They, they have freaking, why would they need to retire? They don't even govern. They can just sit on their ass all day, collect a paycheck, and live like kings and queens, which is what they do, which is why Hillary Clinton is such a miserable fuck, because she wants to be sitting there like a queen like the rest of them, and she's not, and she's a hopelessly incompetent and unlikable human being, which is why she has to go on these stupid shows and brag about how she got some uh, Trump supporter on on. Uh, on Twitter to convince people that uh, they were supposed to vote digitally. And now he got thrown in jail. Yeah, that's why right. she went to that length. She is such a, there is nothing. And I don't, again, like you said, we didn't even get to Wasserman Schultz, but there are some people in politics that are simply irredeemable. Hillary Clinton is irredeemable and she is a nasty fucking person. Yeah. Moving on, uh, I want to give an update uh, on what's going on uh, Israel and Palestine. Uh, Palestine. Uh, I've been off uh, working on the book as most of this has gone on. So we've been covering the protests, but I haven't really given my perspective because I've been off. Uh, I've, I've told the audience this before. Full disclosure, uh, my father is might as well be Zion. <laughs> Or uh, if you go to Utah, uh, what is it? Zion Park or something like that. Yeah. He is Mr. Zionist. I mean, I love my father, but I don't agree with him on all things. Uh, my older brother, 
pretty much the same way. I grew up in a, not really a religious family, but uh, not a religious Jewish family, but definitely a Zionistic family. Uh, I'm not particularly religious, uh, but this is what I grew up in. Uh, it does not really inform how I view the world, but you know, this is what I grew up in. However, with that said, I think that there's really important shifts starting right now. Uh, and you wouldn't really think this is a big deal, but I don't even think you would get this five years ago. French President Emmanuel Macron, who is no progressive, he just called for a ceasefire. Uh, he basically said, you know, just boiled it down to common sense. I don't really know how defending yourself, how you could justify defending yourself by just killing innocent people. Um, he just said that. And that's the French president who is basically the French whiter version of Obama. If you ask me, uh, we're seeing, listen, I think on October 7th, Israel for good reason, had a lot of world sympathy, uh, for what happened and they sure. squandered it within a day. Uh, I'm not an expert on foreign policy. I don't have all the answers to solve this, but I know what they're good currently doing and what they've been doing for weeks is everything I was taught growing up. Uh, that was done to the Jews in the Holocaust. We are doing in Gaza what was done to us in the 1930s and 40s and what has, done to, has been done to Jews and other people uh, in uh, genocides for, for years and years and centuries and centuries and centuries. Colin, let's show the clip. I mean, this is just, there's no words for it. It's just heinous. Yep. Babies are being taken out off of incubators at hospitals uh, in Gaza, if we have that intensifying ground war is raising concerns in the White House and among some on the Senate Intelligence Committee that Israel has gone too far in firing at and around Gaza's hospitals. NBC's Raf Sanchez starts us off in Tel Aviv. Raf, what is the latest about the hospitals and those ground operations? Well, Andrea, the ground operations are right at the gates of Al-Shifa Hospital right now. Hospital officials are saying there is fighting literally in the blocks surrounding the hospital. And as you said, the World Health Organization is now saying Al-Shifa Hospital, the largest, most important medical facility in the Gaza Strip, is effectively no longer functional. There is no running water. There is no electricity. There is the bare minimum of medical operations going on at this point. There are some 600 patients in inside the hospital, Andrea, but no case is more urgent than the dozens of prematurely born babies who were being held in the neonatal unit there. The electricity is gone. Those newborns, some of them younger than this war itself, have been taken out of their incubators. They were, last we heard, being held in the surgery unit at Al-Shifa Hospital. Dozens of tiny, tiny Gazans on two beds being kept together, swaddled to try to keep them warm. In some cases, medical officials respirating them with their hands, trying to keep them breathing, basically doing everything they can to keep them alive. Hospital officials tell us at least three of these newborns have died so far. And I spoke earlier to Dr. Shireen Abed. She is the former head of neonatal care at Al-Shifa Hospital. She says she has no doubt in her mind that more. So, I mean, again, there's no words for that. It's horrifying. Even if you wanted to give the benefit of the doubt, I mean, Israel says Hamas is everywhere and under oh, every shit. building. So uh, even if you wanted to give the benefit of the doubt that Hamas has tunnels and operations under hospitals and this and that, which in some cases they do, 
that still doesn't give you immediate license to just say, well, we, you know, it's Hamas's fault. They're using quote unquote human shields. Let's fucking nuke this place. And however, you know, if, if babies die, if elderly die, if innocent people die, that's just the cost of war. Um, besides the, besides the moral uh, depravity of that, you're just creating a worse Hamas. You're not going, you're not going to, this is what happened with ISIS. Besides the fact that there was no reason to go into Iraq and it was complete fucking boondoggle. You created a worse Al-Qaeda because ISIS was created by people, you know, rightly radicalized by the U.S. invading Iraq and Afghanistan. So this whole, we're going to erase Hamas. No, you're not. You're just creating the next generation of freedom fighters that are going to, this is going to go on forever and ever and ever. Like that. And by the way, by the way, there are answers. Uh, I don't have all the answers, but Israel's response, they could have worked with the United States to publicly pressure Egypt and other countries to allow uh, Palestinians in temporarily. Israel has hospitals. They could take uh, babies and uh, patients into Israel uh, if they want to fucking, quote unquote, go after Hamas in Gaza. This just freely and openly and endlessly bombing the densest uh, population on Earth. I'm sorry to my Jewish friends or family watching, and I'm trust me, I've heard from my family before uh, on my thoughts. Um, that's just, it's not an acceptable thing to just say, well, Hamas started it. No, this has been going on for over a nearly a century. Uh, you could say there's blame on different sides, but at the end of the day, if you are anti-war, if you are a leftist or forget the labels, just a good person, yeah, there's something, collateral damage happens in war. This is not collateral damage. This is intentional damage, intentional disregard for human life. And importantly, if you are a Jew or if you are pro-Israel, this is not protecting Israel. It's making Israel less safe because oh, yes. you're creating a worse Hamas and worse terrorism that's going to go on indefinitely. And, you know, when you hear constantly right now, especially, you know, Jordan's in North Jersey, I'm in South Florida, you know, we're both in parts of the country where the Jewish population is very seismic. One of the, you know, two of the biggest, um, maybe the two biggest in the whole nation outside of the New York metropolitan area. You know, the problem is, uh, yeah, anti-Semitism is going to rear its head. And why? Because there's a genocide being committed in Gaza right now against Palestinians. And you have a seismic portion of the Jewish population who's cheering it on. How do you think people are going to react? Oh, that's okay. Let them go ahead and let them, you know, I mean, they started it, so let's finish it. Actually, no, they didn't start it. There have been 250 Palestinian civilians that have been murdered this year alone before October 7th. The intention is genocide. That is what Netanyahu wants. That is what the Zionists want. They want a Jewish state. And the only way to achieve that is to completely eradicate the Palestinian question. Sound familiar? Well, that's well it's it also, I mean, I don't remember their names, but there have been uh, people in Netanyahu's leadership in whatever Israel's version of the cabinet is who have openly said, uh, we're trying to occupy Gaza. Or yes. We're trying to. Uh, so it's, it's not a secret among some of Netanyahu's leadership. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, I, I know people in Israel. My wife was born in Israel. She has family in Israel. So this is close to us. Uh, I, I'm totally against what Hamas did 
Sure, you could say, you know, some people say, you know, Hamas is our freedom fighters and this and that. Whatever you call them, I'm, I'm not for innocent people being killed on either side. Hey, by the way, anybody in America watching and all you people going out protesting for Palestine, you're occupiers too. We're all occupying land. So if you're going to be mad about uh, Israel, you better be willing to get up and move yourself. Let's not forget that. I and, I'm also the first, and I'm also the first person to say, any one of you that is cheering this on or thinks that there's any justification behind it, put on a uniform, get over there, and be willing to die for the cause. I have said this about everyone. If you are that, if you believe in it that much, Ben Shapiro and Dave Rubin, get your asses over there and put on the uniform and fight. Otherwise, you're a bunch of chicken shit cowards, and you should be called that every which way, nine ways to Sunday. And the two of those fuckers live down here in Florida. They've all migrated down to the free state of Florida, where they preach this shit all day, every day. But the reality is, the reality is, putting aside the the moral implications, and we're going to show two other clips too, putting aside the moral depravity of this situation, and I think it's accurate to call it genocide, the reality is Biden and U.S. leadership is looking the other way to what Israel's doing for a very simple reason. For the United States, Israel's um, benefit is not what they call, how they framed it as the one democracy in the Middle East. It's the United States military outpost in the middle in the Middle East. It and is that's the one thing. Hey, listen, credit, credit, you can credit F, you can credit RFK for one thing. He's the one person who has actually said that is our outpost in the Middle East, and we need to protect. It. I'm like, hey, listen, dude, you know what? You're you're wrong, but at least you're honest about it. All right, and I come from the perspective, and not everyone agrees with this. I believe Israelis have a right to live in peace and security. Sure. Uh, I personally believe in. Get out of Gaza. Get out of the West Bank. Palestinians deserve their own countries. I'm all for pre six pre nineteen sixty seven lines. However, um, you you know I don't. It's not as simple as this. But two wrongs don't make a right. Remember, you were told this if you had decent parents or decent mentors. Two wrongs don't make a right. Yes, Israel has you know uh, the wrong was perpetrated on October seventh. It was Israel's version of nine eleven. But you don't respond to that by hey. They did wrong. We're going to do genocide. You don't. That's not how you respond. And again, it is only going to make the situation worse. I also want to show because, like, this is kind of unheard of. I mean, Andrea Mitchell on MSNBC, who might as well be like sitting in the Pentagon. She is such so far up the military-industrial complex's ass. She kind of, sort of pushed back slightly. Uh, on the fact that we're just openly bombing hospitals and what have you in Gaza. Let's play that clip. At the hospitals, even if Israel's claim that Hamas command and control is under al-Shifa, as well as under other hospitals, other Hamas units, even if that were to prove true, and my understanding is that the U.S. has not independently confirmed that intel, does that justify striking a hospital? These questions have been raised by um, General Brown, CQ Brown and others that even getting a couple of terrorists or a terrorist cell doesn't justify targeting a hospital. 
This is the extra burden that we've been talking about for the Israeli Defense Forces as they try to go after Hamas leaders. And you're right, I'm not going to speak about intelligence matters, but we know it's open source reporting that Hamas headquarters themselves in things like hospitals and schools, and they uh, have uh, tunnels underneath residential complexes. They put uh, the innocent people of Gaza at risk in harm's way just by how they headquarter themselves. Um, and it does create an added burden now for the Israeli Defense Forces. Uh, they have a legitimate right and a need, in fact, a responsibility to go after these leadership uh, of Hamas. But they also have to be mindful of civilian casualties, particularly when it comes to a hospital where you have patients who may, they can't evacuate on their own. They've got significant health issues. And your reporter rightly talking about those young premature babies. I mean, uh, they, are, they are victims of this as well, and they can't help themselves out of this problem. So the Israeli Defense Forces have that extra burden, Andrea, of how to, of how to deal with this. And I've been reporting uh, and okay. filed over That's the enough. weekend about. There was a. Uh, this kind of remind that kind of reminds me uh, how she asked that question of me. I think it was in eleventh grade. I approached uh, Melissa Madsen, who I uh, went to school with and had a crush on. I was sweating, and I said, "Hey, you know, Melissa. Oh, you, you know, uh, I was looking down and kind of stuttering. Uh, you know that 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 that." that that dance that's coming up, uh, you know, I heard you don't, you're not going, you know, you don't have a date yet. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and she was like, are you asking me to go with you? Because I was such a, you know, loser and couldn't just come out with it. So that was like, that was like, she, she said, no, by the way, uh, Andrea Mitchell, uh, Andrea Mitchell, uh, that was her version of a tough question, but clearly she was a little hesitant to ask it. Wife of Alan Greenspan, by the way. Um, Listen, I agree with her. I, 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 even if, even if for military reasons, like that's the central command, how do you justify? You ha I'm not saying this is an episode of 24, but you got to come up with different ways to go after. Um, they certainly would not do it if they had intel that those were Israeli citizens right next to the hospital. I would hope. Uh. I don't know. They don't seem to give a shit about killing hostages either. At least that's what I've seen so far. Uh, I got to tell you, Colin, if you can find out exactly what the salary for John Kirby is and what his net worth is, I would be very curious to know because that man is uh, that guy's got blood running through his veins of all dead, innocent children and people around the world. I mean, that is a that is a cold blooded bastard if there ever was one. And he has stood up in front of the White House press corps and he has made it very clear that, you know, he pulled the old by the uh, Obama line of, yeah, we, we, we killed some folks. Yeah, you know, it happens. I mean, it's just kind of the way it is. You know, it's American uh, Empire. And two million. Stand straight. Two million net worth. He, he uh, I think it's 800 this past year he made. Oh, that's, oh, that's great. Now, you know, that's the thing that a lot of people. Well, well we're, not, we're excluding the fact that once he leaves, he's got a very, very plush seat on Raytheon. Lockheed oh, Raytheon's Martin, board is warming their seat up. So is General Dynamics. They'll make yeah. it off. Why not? Yeah. And that's uh, that's the same thing with, um, you know, it. it's kind of the same thing with Wasserman Schultz. You know, Debbie. Uh, what Debbie's done over the past month since this started has basically tried to orchestrate sort of a, I don't want to say a coup necessarily, but 
um, you know, she's hell bent on trying to recapture some past glory that she once had in a position of power within the party infrastructure. She has basically formed a very dangerous, if you will, alliance with Josh Gottheimer, who has basically replaced her in that role. But the two of them are working arm in arm. They are the ones that organized the votes behind the scenes to get people to censure Rashida Tlaib. She's also somebody who put a bill, or is at least attempting to, it's not gonna go anywhere, but put a bill out basically, you know, De Debbie's mission for quite some time is to basically make it illegal to protest against Israel, to make bank divestment and sanction uh, illegal, that you can't do it, BDS is illegal, and so she had this bill that she was trying to put forward and was interviewed on CNN recently where she said, if you don't support my bill, you don't have a soul, which is actually an interesting trope that's been used for a long time to dehumanize lesser than in people's minds, whether it is uh, African-Americans, whether it is Native Americans, and in this case, Palestinians, to basically project them as being lesser than. And kudos to CNN for pointing that out because most people are not going to, but this is why you take, like John Kirby is a front man for the Central Intelligence Agency and just the entire State Department apparatus. You know, Wasserman Schultz has basically done the exact same thing. She is open for business and has taken over $600,000 from APAC alone. And in this election cycle has taken close to 150,000 already. And we're, you know, Jesus Christ, we're a year out from an election. You take this kind of money, you take that money, because you want to live a certain life and you're willing to basically get people killed. I mean, listen, you know, you can complain that there's anti-Semitism that has risen in this country, and it certainly has. There's no question about that. But Rashida Tlaib basically has to live her life under armored guard because people want her dead. And there are people like Debbie, specifically Debbie. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Debbie Wasserman Schultz is the biggest impediment to Rashida Tlaib right now. And the lengths that she's trying to go to to see that the, if Rashida Tlaib got assassinated, Debbie would not shed one tear. Well, I also love, again, putting aside uh, I was writing my book when the censure happened. Uh, obviously, I don't support Rashida Tlaib being censured. You got to love these conservatives who have been pretending to be anti, uh, you know, uh, anti-censorship. Yeah. And maximum freedom of speech. All goes out. Uh, the, all goes out. That the window, is, but it's Israel. That, that's why I kind of called bullshit for years on Glenn Greenwald and others who only seem to focus on Democrats stifling freedom of speech. And they somehow were like pretending that Republicans are now the party of free speech. No, they're not. As soon as you're anti-war or as soon as you speak up like Rashida Tlaib against uh, what's going on in Gaza immediately muzzle her and reprimand her for her speech. That was a bipartisan vote. And Republicans, and by the way, a lot of these Republicans have been calling for uh, college college presidents to kick students off, suspend students for protesting on behalf of but Gaza you know what that's, Palestine. But you know what that's about? You know, the one thing that becomes crystal clear in these moments is there's a lot of negative tropes that are thrown at the Jewish community. And there has to be a distinction between working people who are Jewish, like Jordan, and the Jewish billionaire class. And it's a real thing. You know, Mr. Wexler, who's one of the richest people in the world, is 
I believe, the biggest endowment giver at Harvard. And he basically wow. said, you protest, I'm pulling my money out. Let's not that's forget. how it works. Let's not forget, dead now, but Sheldon Adelson was the the Republican kingmaker, him and the Koch brothers, for 20 years. Oh, yeah. And Adel Adelson is the main reason that Trump moved the embassy uh, from uh, Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. He gave and Trump $30 million. think for a second that that did not spike an incessant amount of anti-Semitism. Right. That was a huge mistake. But the reality is, you know, human nature, uh, when you are seeing wrong, when you are seeing wrong done, on innocent people in Gaza or anywhere else, you're looking for someone to blame. And it's hard then to not conflate Zionism or pro-Israel people with Jews. Correct. So a lot of a lot of people are, I don't think it's because they hate Jews, but they hate what's being done uh, to innocent people uh, in, in Gaza and Palestine. Which is why people have a propensity to punch down. When they right. shouldn't. Right. So then there's animosity towards Jews in America. And then you see the verbal threats and then, unfortunately, violence. Um, so to me, this is not about Jewish versus Muslim. This is, a, to me, like anything else, it's about politics, power, greed, and evil. And at the end of the day, um, the money is controlling things because – I've always said, and I'm a Jew, I'm not saying this is an anti, in an anti-Semitic way, but this is the reality. A lot of the richest donors in this country that have bought our government happen to be Jewish. That's just the reality. And the other thing that we should be very clear on, and I think that this is where the conversation comes full circle. If you pay close attention, guys, to who are the ones that are advocating for what's going on on behalf of Israel and the ones who are saying free Palestine, I'm not saying that this isn't a, a fight that can be won because the overwhelming majority, thank goodness, are on the side of free Palestine. But if you pay close attention, especially in the Jewish community, the Jewish community in particular will tell you exactly what defines what this issue is all about. This is a class war for the people who are espousing that Israel can do no wrong and should do whatever the hell they want. These are typically very affluent Jewish people that are saying this. Regular work-a-day Jewish people want no part of this shit, none of it. Whether it's Jen Perlman, whether it's Jordan Chariton, whether it's Katie Halper, there are a shit ton of good people out there who are Jewish who are saying, fuck this shit. This is insane. And by the way, uh, before we end, this is what I mean by, I think Israel had uh, the world's, rightfully so, uh, empathy and sympathy on October 7th, and they squandered it, but there's still 200-something hostages uh, being held. That's being forgotten because of what Israel is doing right now. Uh, you know, I care about the hostages. I, you know, uh, I care about... Now, I'm, I'm, by the way, there's, there's, there's Palestinian hostages, too, that have been held hostage even before this. I'd Man, like the hostages I'll tell, to be I'll released. Tell somebody, I'll tell you somebody who doesn't care about them. Bibi Netanyahu doesn't care about them. No. Not even a no. little bit. This is all a means to an end, and they are collateral damage, and as sad as it is for me to say this, but pretty much every one of them is going to get killed, and that's how this is. It is a sick, sick world that we live in, and until somebody is willing to put themselves in harm's way, especially politically, 
They are willing to risk their career. The only person who's been willing to do it so far is Rashida Tlaib. And God bless her for what she's doing. She's got a lot of guts. And hats off. Uh, and, and, you know, there's a lot of people who have spoken up, but hats off to Barbara Lee. She's definitely making it very clear where she stands on this issue. And unfortunately, Katie Porter is also making it very clear where she stands, too. And that right. fucking sucks. Uh, before we go, I'm going to move the UAW topic to tomorrow because I got to go take care of the kid. Who, by the way, my lovely daughter Lily turned one years old two days ago. Uh, so we've made it a year uh, to thank, thankfully, to my wonderful wife who carries uh, carries the the heavy lift. Uh, Jordan, I, I, I do I do my best, but my you, wife you do, uh, is mother but, of the year. But let's be honest, the knots. Uh, you're, you're lucky to have her. That's all I can I say. I am. I am. I am. Drives me a little crazy, but I do love her. And my daughter turned one. Uh, she is uh, going to be uh, traveling with me soon enough, uh, fighting the good fight. And uh, hopefully one day we'll be uh, a justice journalist too. Uh, but I want to point out something. I hate to knock this down to politics, but as we talked about with Cop City, and I said, watch Georgia. If Biden loses Georgia by a little, you could thank Democrats for what they did and did not do uh, in Cop City. If Biden loses Michigan by a little bit, look at Dearborn, Michigan. Look oh, yeah. at parts of Detroit who have the highest percentage of Muslim Americans, uh, particularly Dearborn, who are now saying they're not going to vote for Joe Biden. Not that they're going to vote for Trump, but they might go third party or they might just not vote. So if this election comes down to one or two states or in certain states comes down to 10,000 votes in those states, these issues, obviously, the moral part of it is the is the most important thing. People are senselessly losing their lives, traumatized. But in America, don't let them gaslight you that it that it's Russia's to blame or Bernie's to blame or we're to blame. If Biden loses Michigan by a tiny little amount, look at Dearborn, Michigan, because he probably uh, a lot of Muslim people that did vote for him in 2020 sat home because of him looking the other way. And to be clear, to be fair, Biden can't unilaterally make Israel ceasefire. He can threaten to pull their money, but I don't even know at that point if Bibi would do it. But he can call for it. He can uh, exercise think, uh, leadership. Uh, uh, listen, if the $4 billion annual that we give to Israel was on the table, it'd be over in a minute. I don't agree. I think Bibi, Bibi is also trying to stay out of jail himself, and this is a way to do that. Uh, where, yeah, where, that's true. That may where, be true. Wag the dog. However, if if Biden loses Michigan, remember what's going on right now. Uh, there have been polls that have shown his support in the Muslim community has nosedived. Uh, secondly, after we end here, make sure to go over to Peter's channel, Generational Change, because uh, he's going live and he'll be talking about this and many other things. So he'll be live. Late, Tell late, him what you focused on. Late productive note. I'll let you guys know Jen is going to join me shortly. We She is going to give us a recap of her entire experience today at Cop City. <laughs> it was quite interesting, to say the least. Uh, we're going to cover a lot of topics. I'm going to go more into Hillary Clinton and what she did to this random person on the Internet who decided that he didn't want to see her become president. And she decided that seven years later, she's going to make sure that he gets sent to prison. Let me tell you something. Will, it's bad. Will we be getting? Uh, will we be getting a guest appearance? Uh, from, I from think Bill we'll, Clinton? Be getting, we'll be getting a guest appearance from Bill Clinton. He'll have a few things to say, so he'll definitely want to stick around for that. Uh, but yeah, uh, we've got a lot of great guests lined up. Um, you know, we're, we're we're doing what we can to try to transform politics into service. 
And of course, uh, Jordan is really where I got my start in this particular arena. You know, Jordan and I have been friends for almost eight years now, and I am uh, forever grateful for what you do. I know that there are many sleepless nights that you go through trying to fight the good fight on behalf of people that have no voice. And the fact that you have this book that I hope will be a bestseller, will do everything in our capacity to help push that along. I know there are some good people out there who will. Um, I know not all of you guys, I've said it before, may not agree with some of the people in the independent media circuit, but I am always thankful for the likes of Crystal Ball and Breaking Points. Uh, they will definitely promote your book, and I hope a lot of others will too. Um, this is independent media. This is what we need. We need to be covering these stories. And like I said, most people don't know who the hell Dana Nessel is, but they should know who she is. And this is going to well, be a book that's going to allow you to know her in a much more personal way that you probably won't like, but is necessary. I will say this. Uh, I'll even toss aside the whole prerequisite of being humble. Uh, this book, uh, I'll, I'll tell you the title closer to when it uh, comes out. It should be out next summer. Uh, put aside everything else. This, what, what my book is, it will make Watergate look like child's play. Yeah. I, 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 to be clear, my book that will expose the Flint water cover-up, and it's not just about the Flint water cover-up, it will reveal a lot more, including Wall Street's role in poisoning an American city. This is the biggest government cover-up of the 21st century. It was lost, no pun intended, down the river uh, due to the Trump carnival of the last near decade and the media just abandoning Flint. But when this book comes out, I really, really hope um, I, I expect to make very little money, honestly, off of this book. But for the people of Flint, I hope you buy it. I hope you tell other people to buy it. Uh, I do not expect the mainstream media to have me on or promote it much. So I'm really going to be relying on the viewers should be out next summer. And I'm super excited. You know, I've put in most of my professional and a lot of my personal life over the last eight years covering this story, uh, contrary to somewhat somewhat idiots who just don't like me for whatever reason have said I've actually lost money covering Flint. I haven't made money covering Flint uh, because to me, uh, I think there's a, there's things way more important than Trump or the horse race of politics when Americans are poisoned and then it's covered up and then they're left to slowly die. I think that should be on the front page of newspapers, not for six months, but every day until it's made right. And uh, this book, I would say 80% of it is information that has never been out, including some pretty scandalous um, audio I got recently. I'll leave it at that. Pretty scandalous audio I got of a high-level government official. Anyway, let's read some Super Chats before we go. Uh, thank you, Colin. Behind the scenes has been holding it down while I've been writing my book. Thank you, Kimmy, $1.99. Congratulations on finishing the book, Jordan. Thank you. Uh, I'm hoping, <laughs> fingers crossed, that the editor, the publisher doesn't send me back a fucking uh, vault of edits they want me to make. I think it's pretty good as is. Tony, two bucks. So awesome to have you back, Jordan. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Joanne, five bucks. Jordan, you and your team are fired. Thank you from a proud supporter. Thank you. Thank you to Colin. Thank you to Ron, who's been doing great shows recently while I've been working on the book. Tina Lewis. Uh, it's not just me. Colin, of course. Uh, das Boss Fleiss, five ninety nine euros. I'm shocked. I have two friends who think Israel's response in Gaza is justified. I think I have some work to do. Two friends. I got a full family. 
<laughs> again, my father, God, I love him. I love him, even though he's a Fox News watching Zionist. Uh, <laughs> but he he would call me if he was watching this. Let's put it that way. He would call me very quickly and give me a nice chewing out. Uh, Joanne, five bucks. God bless you for speaking the truth about this. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Joshua, five bucks. Do you think there'd be another terrorist attack on the U.S. because the fight for Israel and Hamas, Muslims and Jews? Um, I think there would be another terrorist attack on the United States, not having to do with Israel and Palestine, but because of all the awful shit the United States does around the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm hoping there's not. I don't want America to be attacked or innocent no. people to die. But let's call it what it is. I mean, what is it? Nearly a thousand bases we have around the world. Uh, we're still starving the people of Yemen, uh, not to mention the droning. And I mean, Biden has cut our droning down a little bit. Uh, so credit for that. But we're still basically well, occupying. Yeah, we're bombing Somalia uh, and many other countries. Uh, yes. New status quo member, Eleanor Holler. Uh, I will say, since I've been writing my book, um, you know, we've slowed down a little bit in signing up new members. We did gain a hell of a lot of members when we were on the ground covering the UAW strike. Thanks to you guys. You guys are paying members. Our viewers funded us to be on the ground for 25 days. Most news outlets with far more resources don't spend more than five days on the ground after mass shootings. We spent 25 days. John Farina, by the way, a hero, was uh, 25 days. What is that? Uh, three weeks, four, almost a month. We were on the ground. We didn't miss a goddamn day covering what I think was the biggest uh, strike. It's not over yet. They haven't officially voted uh, of the last decade. And it already is having ripple effects. I will cover it tomorrow. Because of the UAW gains, Honda, a non-union uh, shop, has raised wages uh, for workers. Tesla, Elon Fuck, they have raised wages in Germany and probably America soon. And other auto companies are probably going to raise wages too because the UAW is getting a hell of a lot of phone calls right now from non-union workers wanting to organize. See so how the this effect begins? Right, right. Uh, so this is what happens. And, and... UAW and Sean Fain, I think, I think I missed this. They had a long game in mind all along. They are now trying to set it up where the UAW and other industries and other workers would line up the expiration of their contracts all together, I believe May of 2028, so that they could all go on strike together if the UAW decides to go on strike then, which I think it will. Uh, so we've been talking about some form of a general strike for a long time, maybe this will be the beginning of it, an organized resurgence of organized labor. Imagine if you had auto workers, healthcare workers, teachers, uh, retail type workers on strike in the same one month, two months vicinity. Can you imagine the meltdown by Jim Cramer on CNBC? More importantly, it, it, we're showing it's effective. It is very effective. They started at GM said we can't go higher than 9%. Got them to 25% and making electric plants part of the master national agreement. That would have never happened even two years ago. So big ups to UAW. Right now, the vote, at least the Ford vote, is about 65% approval. Uh, so, and I think they have till next week, all three uh, companies for the workers to vote. All right. Uh, please, please consider signing up as a status coup member, status slash join. You could support us for as low as five to $10 a month. Uh, it makes a big difference. So we can continue to fund 
protests. John Farina has been out there covering a lot of these protests uh, for a ceasefire uh, and, you know, in support of uh, the Palestinians. Uh, uh, obviously, we're just out for the, or the auto strike. And there's other things we want to get back on the road for, too. And head over now. Uh, you guys should be live in a little bit. We'll be live uh, probably within the next uh, five, ten minutes. Not even five minutes. We're going to get the uh, start going and just go right into it. Because if I'm here, I'm here. I got, I've got a million and one things to do, guys. So but, there you go. Uh, I hope that you'll come and tune in. Um, and Jordan, thank you for obviously always sharing your audience. It means a lot. So, yep. yeah, generational change in the next few minutes. Jen is going to join us for a little while to talk about Cop City and We'll have a whole bunch of fun stuff to talk about. You know, and, uh, might make an appearance. The link to that is in the description for their YouTube channel. And one more. Thank you, Christina, 1999. Welcome oh, back. Christina. You were sorely missed. Well, uh, thank you, Christina. Uh, I'll see you back here tomorrow, 5 o'clock Eastern. Have a good night.